Welcome to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. So this is Sarah Massoni, and you may know me from the Food Innovation Center in Portland here. We're part of Oregon State University. Yeah, I'm Sarah Marshall. I own Marshall's Hot Sauce, a local hot sauce company. And Sarah and I met how many years ago? Nine. Nine years ago, Sarah came in my office and she said, we both have the same name. (laughs) I'll never let her forget that. Yeah, same initials. Same initials. So I knew we were destined to do things together, and then now here we are. Yeah, and then Ned Space was like, hey, you want to do a radio show? And the first person I thought of was Sarah. (laughs) Thanks for having me with you here today. Sure. This is a long-term thing, I think. Mm -hmm. We'll work together forever. Uh Every (laughs) Friday at (laughs) 9. Hope you'll join us. Yeah, so what kinds of things are we going to talk about? Uh, Well, everyday sort of food-related, maybe design, entrepreneurship, struggles, challenges, successes. Yeah. And after these first couple of shows, we're going to have regular guests. So if you're a food entrepreneur and you want to be a guest on our show, you can send us an email, startupradionetwork.com. Go to the contact page if you'd like to join us. Um, today, though, I get to interview Sarah. Woohoo! And next show, she's going to interview me. That's right. And I think she might be feeling a little nervous because I didn't tell her what I was going to ask her. And it really, it feels very powerful to be able to ask you (laughs) anything live. (sighs) But I'll make it easy. Okay, let's go for it. (laughs) Okay, well, so you mentioned that I met you at the Food and Innovation Center nine years ago. I came in with an idea, Mm. and that's really all I had. Um, I had some sauces that I had made, but I wasn't really sure how to go about um, the journey. And one of my favorite things that you did was um, I had met with a lot of people when I was starting, and most people told me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do, which was just to make a product using local ingredients and sell it in stores. I was interested in doing the farmer's market, but also in stores, and I wanted to make it all myself. And every person that I met with prior to you told me that I wasn't going to be able to do that, that I needed to have a co-packer do it. And then I met with you, and you told me I could do whatever I wanted to do, which I've taken that to heart in every aspect of this business. But then the thing that I really love was that then you told me one of my sauces was ugly. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the color was bad. The color was bad. Oh. And that wasn't even anything that I had thought of, really. I just oh. thought, I made these things. They're delicious. People like them. Um, you know, my family was telling me how great they were, of course. But mm-hmm. I didn't think about them being on the shelf. So you told me that this sauce was ugly. And what I did with that information was I changed it immediately. But what I was wondering is that, do you ever give people feedback and they don't want to listen? I just had a lady in my office yesterday. Mm -hmm. And she had this idea, which is a novel idea, but I basically told her not to do it. And it took me about 45 minutes to get that message across to her. So the last 15 minutes of my meeting time with her were the most valuable to her, where she finally listen to she what finally I got saying. it yeah yeah I was thinking that that would be hard I think I if I took some business classes right before I had met with you and and one of the um, things that they taught me in the class was not to fall in love with your idea so much that it's damaging so to be open to people's feedback so I went in there ready to listen but I imagine that doesn't always happen some people get caught up in what they've done and then they're not able to like move it forward into the best of what it could be. And so it's hard for them to transition to something that they hadn't thought of. And that may be how they end up failing. Mm-hmm. So that could be something that would create failure. Yeah. Is it ever hard for you to give people that feedback that maybe they need to make a change? Or oh, no, I, you... no, I promised myself when I took the work on that, I would always say what I thought. Is there ever a time that you wish you would have worded something different? Uh, Actually, I've become a really good listener. So one of the things that I do is in my first few minutes of being with someone, I understand what type of person they are and how they communicate. And so my challenge then is to communicate in a way to them that they'll understand and sort of get it. You're like a food therapist. I am. It's It is. It's true. (laughs) Well, I love that. I love the honesty. And I think that it's really beneficial in your role. Mm. Um, I think that you are this great guide for new food startups and um, that I I really hope that people are open to that feedback when they are in your office. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. A lot of a lot of businesses. I only actually meet with them one time. Yeah. And um, I was at a local trade show and a woman came running up to me and she said I met with you two years ago and I met with you one time and I launched my whole business on that one hour meeting yeah I think that's the way it was for me too we met one time I think I kept coming back even though I didn't really need to Mm. like I could have easily you know every time I came up with a new product I could have just dropped it off and had UPH test it or whatever, you know, the process is. But um, instead, I would make an appointment and come in and talk to you and bring you a lot of things, not even knowing if I was necessarily going to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I would get something valuable out of our conversations together. That's cool. I tend to be a person of few words. Yeah. That's, I think I am too, but yeah. I think the things that makes it, the things that we say important, we're mm-hmm. not just full of, you know. We're not full of fluff. Yeah. No fluff here. <laughs> just, <laughs> just the serious facts. Yeah. Yeah. We take food seriously. 
Okay, so I, that's how we met at the Food Innovation Center. I knew right away I loved your honesty, so we um, got that in there. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about um, was that there's this New York Times article that got written about you. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the New York Times article is called The Million Dollar Palette. And I love that title. I get it. But if I was going to title an article for you, here's what I would title it. I would call it The Artisan Fairy Godmother, Making Food Dreams Come True. Oh, that's nice. What do you think about that? Let's change it. (laughs) (laughs) So the the title of that article actually was pulled from a comment made by one of my clients who currently has a product on the market called Keto Pint. His name is Chris Spencer. And he was interviewed by uh, somebody from the university, and the article was placed in this magazine called the Agricultural, what is it, something or another, Egg Progress, that's what it is. And the writer for the New York Times, Rachel Wharton, found that quote and pulled it and put it in the article. So it wasn't the New York Times. Mm Mm-mm. It was one of your clients. And why do you think they would call you the Million Dollar Palette? Well, Chris was just really, he's flamboyant with his use of language. (laughs) Um, But he, he has a really generous spirit when it comes to his use of vocabulary. And in fact, he may have seen me taste something and say, no, we needed a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. And understood that I actually was the number one ice cream judge in the nation in 1985. And so he was like, you know, he thinks that's cool. And so he was just being, being nice. (laughs) Well, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit because you are behind a lot of companies that have become very successful. Yeah. 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 So I know that, um, do you want to talk about some of the, your favorites or some big ones that people would know? Yeah, like I don't really have any favorites. I love everyone. Mm -hmm. I believe that about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but there were a few projects maybe that were kind of game changers for me. I, early on when I started at the FIC, we didn't have a program, so we had to kind of, had to hustle and find people that would believe in me to do product development work for them. So when you came, there was no product development center. There wasn't a place people could go if they needed guidance. And so you really created that from the start. Yeah, there, the innovation center opened in May of 1999 and I started there in December of 2000 and there was no program. Wow. That's cool. I didn't even realize you built it. I kind of thought that it you just came into it and then well that's what's cool about the university is that they allow the people that they hire to do what they're good at and so that's what the program was based on i had come from industry doing mostly formulation quality assurance and manufacturing and process was it was it mostly for cheese no it was or actually anything. a garden burger garden burger was a startup here in the portland area like the garden burger the yeah. original garden burger mm-hmm. oh, great got that recipe locked away in my brain <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> one of those it. things you never forget highest bitter <laughs> So I was there almost four years before I got my first actual project, and it was with a company down from the valley called Curry and Company, and they wanted to do a cranberry sauce. And so we did a shelf-stable cranberry sauce for them. 
like in a so was it so when you're first designing it is it like big manufacturing food businesses so is it something that's like done on a commercial line or is it just one person or? It, it was done on a commercial line and it launched and didn't su- didn't survive actually um but it was manufactured, I believe, at Dundee Fruit down in McMinnville as a co-packer. And the product was to be sold in the produce section, which was an unusual thought at the time. Yeah. And do you think that was maybe part of why it didn't succeed? I think it was because it didn't really have a champion. Mm-hmm. Didn't have anybody behind it? Yeah. It yeah. kind of did, but it kind of didn't. It was the wife's recipe and the husband was running the business and the kids were involved and it was too convoluted. I think that I, I, you know, I attend a lot of food conferences and things. So you hear a lot of people talking about how to make your products successful. And I think that brings up a really good point that I heard. I think it was Ali Ball was talking about it at a conference I went to that was for food um, farmers market producers. And she said that, um, you know, no matter how great your product is, you really, to be successful, it has to be about you. And there has to be somebody that is excited about it and that can teach other people how great it is because otherwise it's never going to go anywhere. It's going to sit on a shelf and people aren't going to know about it. You really have to have something. And most of the time for people like me, for small producers, that's our passion. So our passion is what makes our product successful. It's not always so much about the recipe or um, anything like that, unless we can teach people why it's great. In fact, that's what I told the gal yesterday. I said, it's not going to matter what you put in the package. It's going to matter how you sell it and people are going to buy it because of you. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think sometimes that's a little harder, too, for big companies to understand because there isn't always a person. They may come up with this idea or they may buy the idea or the company from someone else. But then you see it fail. And really, it's because there's not a person anymore. There's not um, a story or the story. The passion's gone from the story because the person is then working for someone else. Yeah. Do you ever see that? Yeah. I mean, companies might consider the idea of like the Pillsbury Doughboy or Tony the Tiger. Oh yeah, so the uh, I think that's a big thing from maybe more of our younger time of being kids. They don't have it like that so much anymore where you have this um, made up character that you connect with. I mm-hmm. think now it's more about people. Yeah, it's real. People. Yeah. People aren't aren't buying those fluffy cartoons anymore. They're not into it. It's pretty funny. (laughs) They want real life. Real stuff. (laughs) So does anybody ever come in with an idea for you that is something like that um, where they, where it's more like a gimmick? Yeah, there was a company that was um, starting up probably about 12 years ago. They had this idea of creating a jello shot machine. Which oh. is kind of gimmicky. Yeah. and Like for bars? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the machine was supposed to be able to make jello shots quicker than somebody pouring the jello with the alcohol mixed in, in little cups mm-hmm. in a tray, which is very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is like so 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't go through with it. I don't know. I think if you Google je- uh, go, if you Google Jello shot machine, oh yeah, you'll find out it, if it if it worked or not. Yeah, it could be 
something you can buy. Yeah, that reminds me of there was a place in the 90s downtown that would come around with um, syringes full of, I don't, I think the OLCPC probably wouldn't allow that anymore. But back in the day, they didn't care. They would come around and just squirt it right in your mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I think they got closed down quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little out of control. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to get back to the title of my story that I would create for you because I want to know what you would title your food journey story. Whoa. That's, I'm terrible at like thinking on my feet like that. So, (laughs) um, oh, I guess I would say um, CEO to a thousand food companies. Yeah, I, that's a good one. Because a lot of times People that are in a position of power still want someone else to tell them what they're doing is good or bad. Yeah, we all want a boss. Yep. And so (laughs) a lot of times folks will come in and just sit in my office and they'll be like, what do you think of this idea? And I'll be like, that's really off the path. Yeah, I think that's good. And I, I think when you are a, you know, when you're starting a small business, you don't realize, especially if you're going from working with a lot of people, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when you're a small business owner, you're really alone. You have to make all these dis- decisions yourself before you have a team of people. And you don't really have anybody to talk to. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I made so many appointments in the beginning, because I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. Yeah. After that, I moved into a kitchen with a bunch of other food producers. And that really helped because then I had people to kind of bounce ideas off yeah. of. But until then, I would just come into the Food Innovation Center. <laughs> <laughs> the shared use kitchens are yeah. really powerful. I remember um, following you on Instagram and how you were in the night kitchen yeah. somewhere. I mm-hmm. don't know what that was. I'll have to ask you next week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're sticking to you. We're mm. only talking about you today. <laughs> Well, I like the title of your story because I do think that you've helped so many people. Do you have a rough idea on how many food companies have come through the Food Innovation Center? So I use the number of two to 300 per year. Yeah. And, and you've have, been doing it since 2000? Yeah. So that's, that's a, lot. a lot. If we did the math, we would be astonished. And I think we kind of have a number of about a 40% success rate. I think that's really high. That's pretty high because there's so many other services in our city that people can use to be successful, like the Small Business Development Center over by OMSI in the Climb Center building. They help almost exclusively food entrepreneurs. How long have they been around for? Um, We've been working with them for about 12 years. Okay. Yeah. And, and PCC has a program, that's too. That's the same program. It's the same program. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a PCC building, and they have a class called Getting Your Recipe to Market. Oh, yeah. That actually I thought up and, and you, helped develop at the Food Innovation Center. That's what we, I thought. Yeah, I remember happening there. It. Yeah, we transferred it over to PCC for them to shepherd the program. That's great. Mm-hmm. I've, I've known a lot of people that have gone through that program, and yeah. it, it really helps them just get all the things in place. And that's what I always encourage whenever, you know, new people come to me or, or, or they'll meet me at the farmer's market and they'll say, I have this food business idea. I always tell people that it's really best to um, join some kind of class or group and then formulate everything because it really helps you get some goals in place. So I went through Mercy Corps Northwest. Mm-hmm. They have a small business um, 
I think it's called Business Foundations. And so it's just from, if you just have an idea for a business and then it helps you come up with a business plan and sort of formulate what you want to do and then you have a direction. So that's how I started. So I send people there a lot. Plus Mercy Corps has a funding program where I think if you save a certain amount of money, they'll match it four to one or something crazy. Yeah, they have a a grant program. So, um, and you know, if you go to the Mercy Corps Northwest specific website, you can find out more information about that. It's yeah. um, it, I've known a lot of people that have done that too. Sometimes if people are wanting to rebrand, which mm. is um, part of food entrepreneurship, yeah. um, they can go through that program too. Or if they need to buy one piece of equipment or yeah. things like that. So a it's, lot of food carts started through the yeah. Mercy Corps program. Yeah, and a lot of brewers. I mean, I'm I took that class about ten years ago, and so I've met people then that I'm still friends with. My friend Brooke actually was starting an illustration company because it's not just for food businesses; it's for right. anyone. And then she ended up doing the illustrations in my cookbook. So nice. that was like you know, one of the most valuable friendships that I made. Yeah. Portland state also has an incubator. Oh, cool. Um, they actually have a building that's sort of West of the South waterfront up on the hill there. That's just for food. No, it's all sorts of things, but foods included. Yeah. And they have a pitch sort of write your pitch sort of class. And then through that, um, I don't remember if it was like six weeks or four weeks, you develop your pitch and understand what your business is, and then they actually will incubate certain businesses. That's really cool. Yeah. I know they do some, um, PSU, too, uh, will do some business programs where, as their senior capstone project, they actually can start the business and then right. and then pitch it to people. So I had a friend that started Spin Laundry Lounge that way. Uh, they, hel- they also helped Shea Marie, who started the Veggie Burger Company. She had some help at Portland State from that group of students. Do you think that's something that's unique to our city? Do you think that? Oh, yes. We have people from all over the world that come here to learn how we're doing it. Like, what's making you successful? We don't understand. How are you doing this? Yeah, because we really have a lot of companies. So I, um, you know, have had this hot sauce business now for a while. And when I started there was really only Secret Aardvark, which is one everyone knows and knows is from Portland. I would say there's about 20 hot sauce. I mean, maybe even more. 20 that I know. Yeah. Um, hot sauce businesses in town. Hot sauce is really a interesting thing. People who like a hot sauce like either one hot sauce or they like a lot of different hot sauces. Yeah. And hot sauce, like, for me, it... Um, bridges all types of food and types of eating. Yeah. And so you can have, you know, something that's very simple and add some hot sauce and wow, you just changed your whole meal. Yeah. People love it. And I, I think it's really cool that we can have a city that can have so many of us and we still are able to all do it. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. I get yeah. excited about it. That is exciting. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. 
Um, so I have another question for you. Okay. So this one, I actually brought something for us to try today. Ooh. So uh, we are going to be able to try people's products if they come in, uh, but we didn't have any guests today. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about food trends. Okay. And there's a food trend that I like right now. Okay. Which is people putting mushrooms in everything. Oh, that's right. Are you into that? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I br- this isn't a local product because I couldn't find one, and maybe you know about one. But I brought in some mushroom coffee. Okay. Have you had mushroom coffee? I have. What do you think about it? I mean, I think it's good. I have some in my cupboard at home. Yeah. Um, I haven't successfully incorporated, like, those mushrooms in my diet, like, every day. Mm -hmm. But I will occasionally grab that kind of product. Yeah. I've actually never tried it. Oh, you haven't? No. So I saw it at New Seasons and I just, it's one of these little packets and you just add it to hot water. So I'm going to do that while we chat about mushrooms. So do you know why people would add mushrooms into their food on a daily basis? What's the benefit there? There's a lot of, I think some of the mushrooms are considered like superfoods right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I don't have all of the different names. Let me tell you what. Mushrooms. Let me tell you what this one is. It is lion's mane yeah. mushrooms. Lion's mane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I I'm familiar with mushrooms from the farmers market, so okay. I buy them. You know, a mushroom that you cook. I cook with them all yeah. the time. I think they're great. Uh, I have one product that I put mushrooms into, porcini mushroom powder, which mm. is pretty common. I didn't really do it for health reasons. I did it more because I thought it tasted really good. I made a spice rub, but I think this mushroom coffee is really an interesting idea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> mushroom's kind of a brown flavor, so yeah. it probably blends really nicely with coffee, which is a pretty roasted and brown, dark yeah. flavor. So th- I'm I'm shaking up the mushroom coffee right now. Sarah looks like she's not that into it, but I'm going <laughs> to try it anyway. It's got a lot of foam. And I'll tell you what, she's going to tell you the real deal if she likes it or not. <laughs> That's what we know oh, about that's Sarah. Hilarious. I can't wait to have you okay. taste something next week. Uh, <laughs> so here you go, Sarah. Okay. Mushroom coffee. First, you got to smell it. You so I'm smell smelling it. it. It's and it smells. It smells like coffee. Like coffee, kind of like instant, kind of caramely brown sort of smell to it. Yeah. Roasted. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna taste it now. Yeah. I mean, it tastes like coffee. Does it? It it has a little bit of a finish that's a little bit more eggy or earthy. Maybe mm-hmm. it has some sulfur notes that I wouldn't typically find in my coffee. Yeah. Then you think that's maybe from the mushroom? Pretty sure. I actually have some lion's mane at the Food Innovation Center left over from a project, and I've been adding it to stuff. So I kind of know the flavor now. Yeah, I think it it's does pleasant. taste like t- coffee, a little bit like, um, but like it's almost like somebody poured bone broth in your coffee. Mm-hmm. A it's a bit. little savory. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. I think it would be good maybe for like a camping breakfast coffee. I don't know that I would do it every day. I'm mm-hmm. an espresso gal, you know. I mean, it's a lot of people are pretty militant about getting that mushroom in and they're yeah. putting it in their smoothies yeah. and all sorts of different places. Which we see things like that kind of come through as, I don't want to call it a trend or a fad, but that's what it feels like sometimes. Actually, it's 
well known in the cancer um, curing sort of arena for the naturopaths, mm-hmm. and they suggest using a lot of these different fancy mushrooms in your diet. So that's why we're seeing it more. It's, yeah. a, it's really more of a health reason than a yeah. food trend. Yeah. And in fact, many years ago, I worked with a couple of doctors here in the Portland area, and we made a really hearty stew for cancer patients, and it had those mushrooms in it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of products now that are coming through with mushrooms? I would say that mushrooms are very popular right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I um, I suggested it as one of our guests, but there's a local um, mushroom jerky company. Have That's you right. tried any of that? Yeah, we have. I, I have. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great it's idea. Tasty. Yeah. Cool. Are there any? Um, so that I, that was our topic of food trends. I wanted you to try something that I was seeing come around in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know if there's ever a food trend that you're glad has passed. I think the low carb uh, trend was really not so good. Yeah, it was like the beginning of the food industry responding to diets, and I think people made a lot of money and lost a lot of money on that trend. So they were trying to create low-carb food. Are you talking about, like, Adkins world or or after that? I think it was some really bad low-carb baking mixes oh, okay. and breads and things like that that just were really inedible and terrible. Yeah. And then there were direct sales in brick-and-mortar shops that were selling low-carb foods. It was... I don't think any of them are open anymore. <laughs> so it was it was a trend that we saw go away because it wasn't mm. successful. Yeah. And you think because the food wasn't very good or the health reasons weren't well, very good? I think the folks that were doing it were there because they had uh, money, not because they had a food idea or passion. And oh, yeah. so a lot of the foods were somewhat inedible and maybe only were sold one or two times like consumers weren't going back to buy them and somehow the retailers latched onto the trend and filled their shelves and and then in the end stuff didn't sell and it had to go back to the producers and there was a lot of problems yeah that's hard yeah i think it was a big lesson for the food industry i think people are much more cautious now yeah the buyers are more cautious and I think the entrepreneurs are really more cautious mm-hmm. in evaluating what the trend is and if it's really going to last. I mean, that's one of the statements I hear all the time. The keto diet's just a trend. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I've heard people talking about going into ketosis for over 30 years. Yeah. I think maybe the name is the trend, but the idea isn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that brings us to your food diet. I wanted to talk about a little bit. So terrible. (laughs) Well, what kinds of things do you enjoy eating? Oh, that's one of my problems because I love all foods. Um, in particular, I love carbohydrates and so I'm always trying to, I like have this ongoing personal conversation with myself <laughs> about what I should and shouldn't eat. And sure, we all do. Every day, I think. Uh, I think the that's normal. Of that. So I, lately, actually, I've been focusing on eating the 40 pounds of Marion Berries I have in my freezer. Oh, good one. Because <laughs> last <laughs> summer I got to go down to the Salem area and pick a, uh, this farm open its doors to a friend of ours church, and we all got to go ride a 
wagon out into the field and they're like, pick as many berries as you want. And I was like, um, I was like a machine. I was like, I think I filled two five gallon buckets. We just live in this magical place where we're in this city, but we can go just a little ways and we can go to these awesome farms Mm -hmm. and pick as many berries as we want run free in the fields. Yeah. I'm super into it. Yeah, it's we, super fun. We go visit our farmers whenever we can because I just think it's so cool that we live somewhere so close yeah. to all that stuff going on. From the dirt to the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I thought maybe you were gluten-free. Is that not I true? I am gluten-free. You I, are. I stopped eating wheat in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of a discovery of mine. I actually went on those one of those elimination diets. And so for a month, I wasn't eating wheat or dairy or sugar or any of those things that are on that diet. And I dropped 20 pounds. Whoa. And, um, that was pretty eye opening for me. And I, of course, since I'm a dairy judge, I added the dairy back into my diet and I love carbohydrates. So I eat stuff with sugar and other types of carbohydrates, but I haven't ever gone back to wheat because I was having, uh, reactions to it. Actually, I was having bumps in my hair and my skin and all sorts of weird stomach issues and and that went away when my you feet. cut the weed out mm, and also my whole life I've been a migraine sufferer and they went away right mm. um and then you know when I've gone through some other dramatic things in my life the migraine has always been an indicator of stress for me yeah so I haven't really had any since you changed your diet. Yeah, but I w- uh, yeah, I had some other health problems come up and I actually had a lot of migraines even though I wasn't eating wheat, so it was related to brain injury, but so what do you do when someone comes into your office with a product that contains wheat? Do you yeah. not try it? I actually will try it, but I spit. Mm. So there so is kind of like wine tasting. Or yeah, coffee tasting. in fact, that was the reason why Rachel Wharton was interested in learning more about me because I stood up in front of a room of food judges and explained to them why they should spit the food that they're tasting uh, and cleanse their palate between each different food that they were eating. Yeah. And she was like, whoa, I need to get to know this lady better. She doesn't even know these people. And she's telling them to <laughs> chew the food up and spit it out. It's that brutal honesty I was I talking know. about. <laughs> <laughs> it's people um, see it. And instead of, I think sometimes people are afraid to say what they're really thinking. Mm-hmm. And people's response to what you say is always they're in awe because what you're saying is important. Yeah. the <clears throat> Two years ago, a gal came up to me. After I'd given the talk and she was a chocolate expert and she's like, oh, so glad you told everyone to spit. Yeah. I, well, like, I think people don't you know should that. should have said it too. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. You should be part of every food judging panel. I, I don't have time. <laughs> do you like being a food judge? It's really fun. I It's one of my favorite things to do. What's the most recent? I mean, I know the ones that you've done, but what are the most recent food judging? So the last four years, I believe, I've been to New York in the spring to judge the Sophie Awards, which is part of the Specialty Foods Association. And this summer I'll be going to Richmond, Virginia. I'll be one of, uh, I believe, 20 technical judges for the American Cheese Society. 
Very cool. And then this fall, I'll be judging the American Dairy Goat Association annual cheese competition in Boise. Wow. So you get to travel around yeah. and judge all these different foods. I do. And it's not always cheese, but you've really become known as a cheese expert. I have. And why is that? Well, when I was in college at Oregon State University, I was on the dairy products judging team. This was in the 1980s. And I traveled to St. Louis, and I ended up being the number one butter and ice cream judge and the number two cottage cheese judge and the third all-around judge in a dairy competition. So you kind of started with dairy, and I like that you bring up ice cream because you're kind of known as this ice cream expert, right? Uh, Yeah. And why is that? Um, Well, for one, I love ice cream, but I find ice cream to be super magical because it's a... um, it's kind of like a palette for lots of flavors and colors. And I think that it's a kind of a magical way to bring experience um, to people through something that everyone loves. And so I actually applied for a small grant with the Oregon Dairy Farmers Association two years ago, and they funded me to start an ice cream lab at the Food Innovation Center. That's so cool. Which allowed me to traveled to Penn State, and I went through the Penn State Ice Cream School. Wow. So you really are an ice cream expert now. I guess. <laughs> Have a lot of people come through the ice cream program, or it's just getting started? We're kind of just getting started, but there are a lot of ice cream grates in Portland that I've had my fingers in over the last 20 years. Yeah. Do you want to mention any of those? Um, well, one of them is salt and straw. Right. And I've also talked a lot with 50 Licks. Mm-hmm. I've helped Cloud City a little bit. I've worked with David Gremmels down in Southern Oregon on his ice cream mix that he's going to be doing. You're naming all the greats, mm-hmm. like the great ice cream of Portland. Portland has become known for our ice cream, right? Yeah, we're known for ice cream, yeah. for sure. And I think you had your hands in a lot of those companies. I did. <laughs> so basically, I was like, hey, I'm helping all these ice cream people. Maybe I'm like an ice cream expert. I don't know. So yeah. then I wrote the grant, and they're like, yeah, give it a shot. So last fall, we had our first ever ice cream short course at the Food Innovation Center. And something kind of interesting is that the dairy farmers, um, Oregon dairy farmers, were so excited they re, re um, funded my grant for this year. Yay! That's so, great. Yeah. So all you ice cream lovers out there on November fifth and sixth will have another ice cream course. And they can find information about the ice cream course through the Food Innovation Center? Yeah, well, it'll probably be broadcasted on our Facebook page, but you can always search Eventbrite because that's how we sell our tickets. Oh, great. Perfect. That seems really fun. Yeah. And there's still a lot of interest of people wanting to start ice cream businesses, not just in Portland, but they can come from anywhere, right? Oh, really? I had a... uh, I have... uh, website saramasoni.com i was like okay let's have a website (laughs) and there's an information thing where people can contact me and i got so far i've had that website for like i don't know five six months two people have contacted me and this is the interesting part one was for an ice cream shop in tel aviv israel wow so that was interesting 
And they want to come learn about ice cream from you. Yeah. So we're working through that. And then another one is for a gentleman who has a water company in the Amazon. Wow. So my reach is international. That's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, you sent some people to me from Africa that were here on a a trip. They were all food business owners, and um, they were just wondering about food production here because Mm -hmm. they're starting to have different kinds of practices and things like that. So they came on a grant to um, just see what people were doing, and that was really cool. Yeah, I came and gave them a tour. They watched me make sauce. They were really into it because a lot of them, they were all women business owners, and they all had different kinds of businesses. Some had sauce businesses, jam, wine, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But what we had in common is that we didn't really have a staff team. So it was really cool for them to see how we can do what we do on a very small level but have, like, a big reach. Yeah. So it was cool to and to meet these people that I still interact with through mm-hmm. social media. is so great for this reason. Me too. I, I can still interact with people in Africa that I met two years ago mm-hmm. and see how their businesses have changed just from coming and, and seeing how things are done here in Portland. Yeah, one of the ladies on that tour has a, a tofu and soy milk business. Yeah. And working with her via, I think it was through Instagram, and then I switched over to email. But um, she contacted me and said, I need help extending my shelf life. And I said, okay, here's what you got to do. And I extended her shelf life, I believe, from just a couple days up to like 10 days. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that giving spirit that you have. Yeah. Um, I think that what people see when they come to you is that you really want to help to make them be successful. So mm-hmm. you're going to give them whatever kind of information. And I think that sometimes, you know, information is so valuable. It's powerful, isn't it? it? It really is. And I think that a lot of times people aren't willing to share it or they want to charge a lot of money to share it. And mm-hmm. I think that was the really kind of freeing thing I found when I met you was that you, um, you know, you provide a service, you charge people money, of course, but you really give a lot with that time. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. So that to me was like the key thing that I wanted to do was to sort of remove the smoke and mirrors from the food industry. I feel that a lot of the food science that's happened, you know, food science really started when Louis Pasteur decided, hey, we can pasteurize stuff or, you know, can things and all that stuff. So it was a long, long time ago, but the industry itself and the industrialization of food has happened on the backs of a lot of people that are now passing away. They're all in their late 80s. They were the folks that were running the food science departments. Yeah. And I think, you know, like margarine is an example. Margarine Mm -hmm. is an example of food science. Um, And in some places, they had laws against selling margarine. Like when I visited Madison, Wisconsin, I was like, what? There was a law against margarine in Madison, Wisconsin? It's like one of the capitals of dairy. Yeah. So... I also was in a lecture one time, and they were talking about how the food industry had um, changed everything to being low-fat. Oh, right. And Which so, a lot of times meant adding sugar, right? Well, they added carbohydrates, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. So they they changed the balance of the nutrition, and that's where we started to start seeing obesity. Yeah. And they also removed a lot of the tropical oils that used to be in the foods, mm-hmm. and our bodies actually prefer them. 
I think that's one of the nice things that we see in the food movement here mm-hmm. is that you really see kind of a going back to just using ingredients. So yeah, keep it simple. Yeah. And I think that's really nice. So with the ice cream industry, with the sauce industry, with all of these things, it's about just making food with food. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> what we're trying to do is use the three hurdles, which... We call them hurdles because they keep bacteria from growing. Mm -hmm. And one of them is acidifying something. So we add vinegar or we add lemon juice or in some cases the food that you're you're making something from is acidic. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a way to keep bacteria from growing. And that's what spoils food most of the time. Is the bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. And that can make us sick too because some of them are pathogens. Right. You're speaking my language. Yeah, and then the (laughs) second thing is water activity, which is the moisture that's available for bacteria to grow. Yeah, and And so so when you go in and meet with Sarah, if you don't know about these things, those are the things that she kind of helps you to do. So figuring out how to make your um, product have a longer shelf life, Mm -hmm. be stable, be safe to give to people and um, tells you about all of those things and then makes it safe for your product to be out there. So it's really unique because it's not adding some kind of preservative or something like that. Like it's, I mean, it's using natural vinegar, citrus, things like that as a preservative. Yeah. And um, I, I came from the natural foods industry. In fact, I haven't really ever created anything in the last 20 years that has done anything but use hurdle technology. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting close to the end here. Okay. So I want to ask you one more question. Okay. Um, so this is first a statement, which is that I love your family. Oh, they're <laughs> my favorite people. I've seen them at a lot of the events that I've done over the years. Yeah. You guys always come and check out what everyone is doing. And I love that because your family is passionate about food yeah. alongside you. I get to see them come and support you at all of your events. And yeah. the thing that never changes is they just have this sparkle in their eyes when they see you helping everybody. And I love that. But my, my question for you is that you take on all these other food entrepreneurs as your family. Yeah. Does your real family ever get jealous? My family are not jealous people. Oh, good. I didn't think so. (laughs) Um, But I do try. I mean, my family does come and support me at events, but I kind of separate myself in some ways from my work and what's happening at home because um, it would be so easy for me to be out every single night of the week. There's a food event, and I oftentimes am invited to many of them, and I just haven't always made myself available to I think that's the cool thing, though, is that a lot of times you bring your family with you. So you still are making it your family time. You're supporting the people that like me that become your family Mm -hmm. and your family's right there with you. So you can kind of um, incorporate it all together, which I think is a cool thing. Yeah. My husband recently retired from a local dairy. And so he has more time available to go to things with me. That's so nice. Yeah, it's nice. Okay. That was my final question for you. I just wanted to make sure your family wasn't jealous of your, your, all your food children <laughs> no no they actually they want to know kind of what's going on usually at the dinner table we'll talk about whatever's going on and so they get their updates that way that's so cool 
Well, we wanted to mention that if you do have a food business, um, you can come and be our guest. Yeah. So if you were interested in doing that, you would go to startupradionetwork.com and fill out a contact form, and you could come be our guest. If you make some kind of food product, you could bring it for us to try. Yes. If you're in early stages of development, you could bring your idea. Um, we want to be here to help guide people in their journey, so however we can help you with that. Uh, one of the first things we were going to say is that um, in the beginning of our show, we're going to talk about um, any food news. So get those press releases to us. I know sometimes yeah. people don't have a lot of experience with writing those, but this would be a good opportunity to practice. Yes. Um, and we can give you feedback and we can talk about what your food events are. And so same thing, submit those at startupradionetwork.com. And then I forgot I do have one final question, which is... Sarah, what do you hope comes from these conversations that we're going to have together? Um, I just want people to feel um, included. So I guess it's a way for us to reach out in a community sort of way. And I have people who will say to me, I listened to that podcast you did with Mary like 50 times. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> so I think it's just a good resource that will be sort of on the internet and people can listen on Fridays at nine or pick it up whenever they have time. Great. I, I hope that we can inspire people yeah. to do new things, to start businesses, to take risks. You know, I know they're not always, not every food business is successful, but um, I love encouraging people to live their dream. Yeah. And, um, you know, I that's what I hope comes from it is that people hear our stories, they hear other people's stories that we can help um, to make people do what they want to do with their lives. Yeah, and everyone should remember, Oregon, we love dreamers. We do. We love dreamers, and we love <laughs> that people will try new things and really do it. And so I think that's, that's right. why we see a lot of people coming to the city because that's what we do here. Yep, we're genuine about it. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.